will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. That's right, Bruce. Season 2, Episode 1, man. We took a little bit of time off. We had 30 episodes in Season 1. We've heard great feedback. Awesome things happening. That's Bruce Stanley. Hello, yeah. Man, (laughs) what an awesome uh, completion to first season. That was incredible. Yeah. And I'm Adam Comer and Bruce today, man. This first episode in Season 2, we have a very, very special guest in studio. Or in my office, at my house, but still in studio. Uh, and man, I'm excited! What a what a great way to start season two with a bang. We have Dr. Monty Burks. Monty is uh, the State of Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Faith Based Director. Man, he goes to every single county in the state. He is one of the most passionate people I know about recovery and about doing things that's going to benefit and breaking down the stigma of addiction. And I'm excited. Dr. Burks, welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, yeah. So let's just jump right in. Uh, Dr. Burks, tell the, I don't think that a lot of people know. I think it's somewhat new, even though maybe it's a decade old. So it's not very known, even in the church community, the faith-based community. Uh, tell the tell the people what you do. I know we have a close, we've worked very close together, yes, me and Bruce and S2L Recovery. You've, you've been a blessing to us and just putting us in front of people to talk to and show that we're a resource. But yeah, so just just tell us what you do. Tell tell the people that are listening what you do, what, how you got into it, how you were called to it. I know we were talking about it, your calling before we started recording. Yes, sir. So tell us tell us what's up. Well, you know, first, thank you guys for having me out, man. This is it's awesome to be in the office home of two really good friends, um, two powerful pastors, um, the two men of God who really are not afraid to get out there and share their stories and help other people. And um, the, our, our our wonderful common thread is our recovery from our past. Uh, getting over those hurts, habits, and hangups to be who we are and to go back and help other individuals kind of cross that, cross that bridge. Yeah. And, you know, this, this initiative has been such a wonderful uh, opportunity because I get to go back, uh, and help serve the community that I'm not only that I was I able to remove myself from or move from, um, but the community that I was, was planted in. You know, we, mm-hmm. we all understand that, that growth, growth can be painful. So sometimes where you're planted and you grow, it's not necessarily comfortable, but it serves a purpose. And I honestly believe that the, the, where I'm at now, my victory was in the process of my addiction uh, to mm-hmm. be able to do this kind of work because the the church is is, is what saved me. Mm-hmm. Uh, being brought back to the church, which I grew up in, yeah. um, helped catapult me into going back and to be a recovery advocate and understanding that the, the, the one of the most important principal pieces of the recovery walk was having the congregations involved. Because, man, oh, man, we've got these congregations everywhere. And, and how I actually got into this work um, is about five years ago, uh, our department, I started working for a project called Lifeline. Mm. Uh, and I, you've had some Lifeliners here come out and talk. I was actually one of the original, if not the first, Lifeline project coordinator. Okay. And what my job was, was to go out in the donut that surrounds Nashville and connect with the community and try to figure out ways to get people into recovery. Mm. and how, Whatever that meant. And I knew I knew uh, from my own personal experience that recovery didn't look a certain way, didn't smell a certain way. Sometimes recovery meant somebody just give me a hug and tell me that you love me mm. and that you will help me. You didn't have to condone or, or endorse my negative activity. 
love me as a person. Um, and what better community suited to do that than the faith community, yeah. man? The yeah. churches and the, and the powerful pastors behind the pulpit. You know, you got pastors from 13 to 89, and all of them have different experiences, different ministry works. But, you know, the power of that is we have three out of four Tennesseans who needed that pastor at some point, at some time. Mm. And, they, and I was one of those people. So I went out to those communities and I started seeing that the, the, our congregations, while ready, weren't necessarily equipped. Mm. And it wasn't by choice. Uh, they had the location, they had the individuals in the pews, uh, but there were all of these new things that were coming out, bombarding our congregations outside of the four walls of our sanctuaries. Uh, we had all of these new drugs and we had the opioid epidemic that was creeping up on us and yeah. we had mental health issues that were following right behind it. In actuality, all the stuff had always been there. Uh, but for some reason, the, the the congregations had been removed from the equation, and whether it be by um, a, a, a separation of communities um, one of the things that I said, and I say this still to this day, and I'll say it to the day I'm gone, is I work in a government agency. I can't go to a congregation, an institution that's older than the one that I work in and try to tell them what to do. Wow. I'm going to go to those congregations and say, hey, listen, whatever organic approach you're taking to helping people, let me give you whatever other resources you need. Let me connect you with people so it can help you grow that ministry and possibly partner with agencies like mine, because there's never going to be enough agencies that I work for to help everybody, mm. but there's enough congregations and members in the pews to catch every single person mm. that needs help. So that's how that mentality and that philosophy is how I was brought into this position. My uh, commissioner now and a former commissioner heard me talking about a similar uh, path. And one of the things that I stressed was, Hey, I'm in recovery. I just finished, I just finished grad school. I'm in recovery. I'm teaching as an adjunct instructor at a couple of different universities um, I'm in recovery mm. and I help other people in recovery because I know broken people can help broken people. I get it. I spoke the language and they ended up pulling me into this position. Um, and my goal was, so their goal for me was to get the faith community involved. So that's what I did. Wow. I hit, I hit the ground running, man. We've been in 94 out of 95 counties con <laughs> connecting with the congregations. When do you sleep? Man, God allows me, and whatever rest He gives me, I'm thank I'm thankful for. Man, you know, I, I look at the uh, you, you look at the the great the great leaders and the great prophets through history. Did they sleep? Mm. They they were ministering in their sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah man. And so here, a little fun fact about uh, Dr. Burks and Bruce and I have known uh, Monty for a few years, so we feel comfortable calling him that. But Hey, Dr. Burks, he trains MMA. He'll get in there and scrap. You come up, you see him on the street, you might find yourself on a rear naked choke if you disrespect him, right? So fun fact about him. But hey, tell us tell us this. Um, it's interesting because I, I've studied. I've, I've been in school uh, studying religion, Christian counseling. And man, so it, of course, when you're studying these type of things, you study theology and church history. Yes, I think it's so interesting as I study church history, and it's always been the church throughout history who has come together and dealt with these type of things, epidemics, social injustice, these type of things. And I find it so interesting that that you have the opportunity, and I believe God's using you as a vessel, that the state government has now assigned you to go rally the faith community to to do what it's already set up to do. Yes, I love that. I think it's yeah. incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, uh, Monty, I'd, I'd love for you to tell the, the listeners, really the thing that gets me fired up is knowing 
where this is all coming from, how the state of Tennessee is involved, and what that means for our listeners in terms of hope and what's what's happening with the faith-based community and how it's being recognized uh, all the way to Washington. Absolutely. You know, what what uh, is being what is being successful and how they're trying to capitalize on that. Absolutely, man. And I, th- you guys brought up some wonderful points. You know, our, we go back in history. Our congregations were the hospitals. Yeah. They were they and you know, they they started uh, every, on the single front of every social movement that's happened in this country. As a matter of fact, in the world, when the congregations got in front of it, we got in front of it mm. as a community. Um, and you're right. Every single epidemic, every cause that's 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 needed our attention, we've stepped up to the plate and we save people. And I'm blessed to be able to be on that uh, part of that rallying cry to get the congregations deeply involved. And you know, me me coming from a very deeply religious background, mm. I'm gonna and I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person. Um, and the, the, my religious background gave me two views of of religion. Uh, and two different ways that I would have addressed coming to people for help. And I yeah. want to make sure I cover that. Uh, my father was a practicing Catholic and my mother was Pentecostal. Mm. Um, and I tell people that and they, <laughs> I get that right. <laughs> and uh, I had two total different interpretations of the same mm. path. Interesting. Um, but as I, as I grew older, I understood that even though we have those wonderful diverse differences, they're all part of a much bigger plan to help every single individual. Man, I'm a man of faith. I've been through everything. I've hit rock bottom. I have suffered. I've been homeless. I've been on my deathbed. And and my faith now has put me in a position where I get to help people whether they believe what I believe or not. Yeah. I believe part of me getting those uh, uh, those feathers in my wings is going out and doing what I'm supposed to do yeah. and showing that love through my actions. And, you know, because of this work, because of uh, our, our state understanding that we have 12,000 congregations in Tennessee. Wow. You have no other single demographic that has that much capacity to do something. Wow. So you might even, some of our congregations have three people. Mm. Some have 30,000. Yeah. They can all provide some type of ministry or access point to get people into services. So that's the the that's where we started. So let's let's work with these twelve thousand. How can we get them to be part of this healthcare system, behavioral healthcare system, uh, with mental health and with substance abuse? Um, and we took an innovative approach. We said, okay, how about we recognize our congregations for the great work they do on mm-hmm. whatever level that is? And so we we came up with a way to recognize called certified recovery congregations. And, um, and that's and that's kind of where Bruce and I met through. Uh, we're kind of putting the wheels up under it years ago. And we met so, so divine time. It was a miracle. It was a miracle that we were put together because, you know, he was already in the process of this was his where he was going. Yeah. And I was looking for people that were going the way he was going. Yeah. And then I just looked him up in a phone book. Uh, 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 no, you searched me online. Yeah, yeah, I searched him online. Yeah, I searched him online. Yeah. And there he was. And then that was five years ago, man. And yeah. we've we become uh, friends. And I've met many more pastors than I met you. And I've met many more pastors that were on the front lines that were already out there. And what we needed, and then, you know, I'm speaking from a, a state employee. Right. What we needed was more you. Mm. We needed other congregations to know that you existed. And part of us doing that and recognizing it and respecting that, listen, I know that everybody's denomination is different. Sure. Some people's beliefs are different. Uh, but I also know that we're part of a much greater work. 
And I know that sometimes I'm not going to be able to reach everybody, but you can. Yeah. Uh, you can as pastors. You can. I'm, I'm not a pastor, although I am called a pastor. I'm not a, I, this is my ministry. This is my work. Now you're preaching um, right yeah, now, brother. <laughs> I, well, thank you. <laughs> but they, you know, being able to, to express love and gratitude to the church for doing what the church is doing and then pulling the churches in and then putting them together with treatment and recovery programs as an equal partner. Not as not just uh, somebody over here that can can provide you with something. Yeah. Somebody that's equally as important as your treatment, as your recovery support, um, as your job training, uh, all of the things you guys do at your program. Mm-hmm. The congregations now know that they have skin in the game that believes like they believe, and we have gotten national recognition. Uh, I'm the I'm the White House liaison for faith based wow. work for the state of Tennessee. Wow! I visited the White House on a, on a couple of occasions. I was actually just recently in the Eisenhower Building, which is right next to the White House, with leaders from all across the country. And this is something that I love to share. There was a conversation uh, amongst a, a huge table of people with the Surgeon General and some other people, and they were talking about faith based institutions and, and, and congregations across the country. And some other states were like, "Well, who do we turn to?" And the Office of National Drug Control Policy, I didn't realize they knew me personally. They said, well, there he is right there. That's Monty Burks from Tennessee. (laughs) Tennessee is on the leading front for congregations getting in front of this thing. Wow. And, man, that was an honor. Mm. That was an honor. That was divine timing and and position, Uh, the precision of which uh, our creator has put us on the front line of this work is undeniable, man. We're, we're doing what we're supposed to do. And as a product of that, we're working with other states in a mentoring capacity as well as a partner capacity. I have a partner. His name is Greg Delaney. He's out of Ohio. Mm. Greg Delaney is a pastor. He's a man in long-term recovery. He oversees different treatment and recovery programs. They're doing the same thing. They're pulling their congregations in with equal footing. Good. And, I, and I want the listeners to know, congregations, if you're still... I, I mean this respectfully, lukewarm in your recovery work or what you want to do recovery wise, reach out to this podcast, reach out to the people that you're listening to right now. If you, do, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, support the wheel that's already rolling. There are a lot of programs that could use you, your voice, your love and your your access point to get people in your pew to them so you can utilize that. And you can get people when you send people off to a program. You know, a lot of our congregations didn't know, and this is part of this work, is they thought, okay, when I send them off, they don't come back. Yeah. Yeah, that, right. When you send someone off, maybe they don't come back, but you just saved a life. Yeah. But better yet, you just created an ambassador that's going to go to another congregation, if not back to yours, yeah. and start the recovery ministry. Start the recovery. Uh, again, I, su- I, I think that we've over overthought how a congregation really needs to be involved in recovery support. I know we talked about this. All Sometimes all the congregation needs to do is just answer the phone and say, hey, here's a list of programs. Let me connect you because I've become friendly with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Celebrate Recovery has been magnificent uh, as, as a resource in the community. Um, I also uh, work with some different individuals from like different types of programs. I get the, I get the, I get the blessing of trying to connect with 12,000 congregations, man. Yeah. yeah. Let me jump in here because I, I, yeah. I want to just uh, say how, how all this actually funnels down into boots on the ground and how things get implemented. Because since I've known you, Monty, uh, you know, I, I think I was, we were just talking about this before we got on, on uh, the podcast, that I was one of the first, if not the first, uh, faith-based 
certified uh, peer recovery specialist. So it's a training that the state provides for free for individuals who uh, have a, um, a desire to go out and help people in recovery and, and to get certified. And what that means is that you become the, the light, if you will, in a congregation or in a certain situation where I'm connected with you, Monty, I'm connected with the uh, Project Lifeline, the, the guys who are in, in charge of the regions and even the faith-based uh, coordinators who are out there. And so I can be inserted into a place like a church. Uh, all I have to do is voice to the church, hey, this is what I do. This is who has my back. These are the resources I can provide or I can connect you with. And and so, because Monty, you, you do a great job getting out of the community and doing these um, events where pastors show up and, and other people in the community. Uh, but where, where somebody like me, which is what your program is doing, is trying to certify guys like me, uh, is I'm already in the congregation. I'm a member of the church. And so they find about, out about what I'm doing and they listen to me. They, and, and all I have to do is just voice and say, look, I want to be that guy in the church who can provide the resources to help connect people, to get them into programs uh, because of, of the team that I work with, which is your team, Monty. And and uh, the church, nine, 99% of the, the pastors that, that lead these congregations, like we, we don't know what to do. We want to help but we don't know how to help. And a lot of them are afraid to start some type of program within the church because they're not familiar with how these things go. And of course they're trying to protect their flock of what's being said and all these kinds of things. But they, but then they, they, they meet about a guy like me who tells them the things that you're saying here. And they're like, wow, okay, well, man, we trust you because you're a member of our church. Yep. So what, what could we implement? What, what could we do? We're looking at you now to, to advise us and provide the resources for us to do that. And I can just give you an example of how it all happened for me, which is I was out uh, working with uh, transitional living houses, recovery houses, uh, even was teaching a class Monday night out at uh, STL Recovery before I even started on there as staff, uh, just doing what the Lord had had uh, pretty much led me to do to help other people. Same thing with your story. You just want to help people. We were in the same place we were in to to get to where we are now, and the desire for my, for me was that. And in the process, uh, Monty, you just searched me online, which today we talk about this divine thing because <laughs> yes. I was not searchable, right? And he just I asked him like when he called me that day, he was like, "Hey, Bruce," and I think it was an email at first, and he's like, "I'm just well, found you online, I want to get you connected to this stuff." You know, hey, what do you think about getting certified? And I can help you with all that, and of course. It opened up a, a door that I had no idea was there. And uh, I went back and tried to search myself. There, there was no way that you could have found me. I was not searchable in terms of, hey, because you said I'm looking at you. You typed in faith-based recovery. Yeah, program, yes, yes. And I showed up, which there was no reason why I would have showed up. But anyway, so I maybe, went through. Maybe your arrest record. <laughs> <laughs> But it came up under faith based engine, right? Isn't that awesome? So anyway, so I go and get certified and then through learning the resources and getting trained to how to help people, uh, I simply went to my church and said, Hey, this is what I'm doing now and they're like, Cool, what do you want to do? And I said, Well, hey, let me start a class, let me start a recovery meeting in the church and, and just do the things that I'm doing already, which 
I also have the support of the of the state for providing other resources to help. Yeah. Even not just for that individual, but for their families, for their spouses, for whatever, to connect with not just what I'm doing, but other people who are doing something that's not what I'm doing to help them. And and through that, the church then became a certified recovery place. Yes. And then people started recognizing within the church, hey, this is going on. Other people in the church kind of knew me, and if they had a problem, they knew who to go to. And then, Adam, also you were doing the same thing. So that's how it works. That's that's how it works. And and then through that is how people find the resources. You know, let's just say that the church doesn't start a class. If the guy that's there or whatever, that's not what his intent is. But he becomes the person that everybody knows in the church, and the pastor says, hey, that's the guy you go talk to, and and that guy is connected to you, Monty, and the resources you provide, and all of a sudden the church becomes a recovery place. Yeah. It becomes this this place that people can go to and go, hey, I know that church is doing something. Uh, and like you said, whether there's somebody gets help and, and leaves the church, I mean, it's in the kingdom of God, right? It's not about a place. It's about a movement and yeah. and what people are doing within the kingdom and helping people. So we're just, it's like discipling really. Yeah. It's a first Corinthians approach. It's a yeah. different, different members of the body. Different you don't say that the foot's more important than the hand or the eyes more important than the ear, but how much more effective is the church going to be if the hand needs to be used and the pastor could say, Hey, there's the hand, go talk yeah. to him. And I mean, you're ushering that in. One thing that I thought was really Really interesting, Monty, was um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we're we going across, we're going to these, you go to different counties and you talk to communities, you, you, I guess you, you talk with pastors of churches and they try to bring in that community to come and just get this message of, of hope out. Um, we believe, and, and you said it in your, in your comment and, your, and when you were talking earlier, we believe that the, the church is the answer and not the, the building, right? Not the church house, the church, the body, the body of Christ. Uh, and honestly, if the churches can start to see, the body of Christ can start to see, this is a, this is, this is an opportunity for revival. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. The, the harvest field of this epidemic, uh, people need hope. Where are you going to find more hope than the hope of Jesus Christ? The the church, I mean, look at what's going on, yeah. and it's such a hopeless thing. And a part of the reason, the part of the, the enemy's attack that we see of why people in the church don't talk about it is because of shame, is because of guilt, is because you, shh, oh, well, hey, I'm going to smile. Hey, brother, how you doing? Smiley, smiley, smiley. Oh, I'm doing well, great. It's just <laughs> the stigma, too, you know. And, Tools of the divider. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Man, one of the things that I'm still fired up today and the, and the thing I like to talk about the most, really— is how, I mean, let's think about it. I mean, I was a soldier. I'm a veteran, combat veteran. I'm proud of my nation. Uh, I love uh, being an American. And uh, I still believe that it's the only nation in the world that has a, a democratic, if you want to call it that, uh, system where, where people can get involved and make a difference. Uh, and to see the government step in and say, look, we admit you know, this war on drugs, this thing we've been doing for decades, even the things that are implemented into today, which is called normal recovery methodologies, it's it's not moving a needle fast enough. And we've got a, an alarming amount of people who are dying on a daily basis. Uh, we've got to do something different. And to, to, to see how that 
3 to 12% ratio of success with these traditional models that have been going on for literally decades, 30, 40, 50 years, that we're starting to see a change in the percentages of people finding success, finding endurance in the recovery. And it's because of this this new perspective of, hey, the church has got to get involved, the faith community's got to get involved and, and we're seeing we're seeing the move the needle move and other people are recognizing it yeah absolutely not so seeing it from a statewide perspective there's a beauty behind it because i i get an i get an eye shot into the different denominations i get an eye shot into i get an eye shot in the different denominations into uh different cultures uh different all kinds of difference that are fighting the same common enemy. Yeah. Uh, they're dealing with stigma, the stigma in the community. You know, people, people love to go to social media and post something when somebody falls, Yeah. but they're really slow to post something when that same person gets back up yeah. and it further creates and opens that void in a, in a place where we can continue to stigmatize people when they can say it's in the name of a laugh or it's in the name of fun. And the truth and actuality, usually the people who post that stuff are hurting themselves. Yeah. Uh, but they continue to usher in that stigma. And, and people like us, we know that we need more places of, of, of joy, places of encouragement. And that's where, the, that's where the congregations really play such a wonderful role because they're in testimony service in a, in, in a church traditionally. I remember getting up, people would tell their stories of how they've overcome something and their faith and how the congregation supported yeah. them and all these wonderful things. But we weren't hearing that about people who said that, well, you know, I almost overdosed last night or, you know, I just got out of jail this weekend. You know, we, we found out that we couldn't incarcerate our way out of addiction. Yeah. Uh, we found that out real fast because we now understand that the brain operates completely different than what we assumed that it did. Let me let me make a correlation for you, if you will. They talk about you guys. We talked about the addicted brain before. Uh, when a person's brain is damaged by drug use and alcohol use, it's not a, a one quick fix thing. This is where the church is so powerful. Fellowship. When a person suffers from addiction or uses over a certain amount of time, they become dependent. Then after dependence comes addiction. That's the negative process that happens with that. The church is already fitted Mm. as a body, as a tool, as a resource to fellowship with individuals and give them time to get that out of their system. Mm. The church always does that when people have cancer or suffer from cancer and they go to our, our churches and they stand up and they give their testimony and they talk about what they're going through. The church is quick to embrace and love and go mow their grass and wash their car, fill the tank up with gas, bake them a casserole. Come around them. <laughs> Come around them and just yeah. give them all the support. But when people like me, you know, and I and I mean this as a wonderful, the, the church embraced me, walked with me on my journey, got me to a recovery program, which referred me to a treatment program. It all happened with somebody from one of the pews said, I see that you need help. Let me help you. Yeah. Let me fellowship with you. But when a person, you know, we're, we're getting better at it. And I think it's going to take more people like you guys out on the front line. We want all 12,000 congregations to say when a person comes in, we want to treat them just like it's anything else. Let us get around you. Let us hold you. Let us show you the love. Let us show you the love through us. Yeah. We know, you know, some people are so disconnected to their faith because of what they've been through that they think this is it. They think they're literally living in a hell and there's nothing worse than what they're going through because of where they're at. Some of them have never seen love and deliverance and redemption that we've seen yeah. as people in recovery. We see the beauty on the other side. I'm a man of God. Uh, my walk with Jesus has been nothing but beautiful. Yeah. And it, it wasn't Amen. easy. 
It wasn't easy to get there. That's right. Because through the years, the excess baggage that I picked up caused me to think a certain way about people in the pews that wasn't true. Yeah. I had a lot of people that wanted to love me that didn't know how. That's interesting. You know what? And that's actually that's a good point. It's on the flip side of that, them looking at you. Yep. Right. So what I love about uh, the church and, and you said it yourself, you were men of God and, and the way we look at addiction has to change. The church is already set up to look at it that way. It's the stigma they got to get over. And what I mean by that is the church is already equipped and the faith that we all follow tells us that uh, sin is what we fight with every day, but that we have forgiveness through Jesus Christ, right? So we need to stop looking at the, the, the stigma of addiction and really look at it in the same way we would see anybody else who has a hang-up, a problem, a sin that the church needs to embrace help that person change and 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 help them change uh, and find forgiveness and be accepted by the Lord, right? So one of the things that we always say in our ministry is, hey, man, this thing that you're dealing with, you know, it, it's your individual thing, but it's no different than what other people struggle with. The consequences might be a little different, but you can get over this just like anybody can get over anything else. And it's the it's the it's our faith. It's the thing that we believe in that says you can do this. And here's how we're going to come around you. How the church is going to support you. How we're going to love on you. And so, for listeners out there who are part of churches or even pastors who lead a congregation, I say, well, we've got to get over the stigma of these people and their and their situation and circumstances. How it's so different. And it can't be accepted by the church, and and that's just not right. It, it's the same thing that everybody in your congregation goes through that you counsel and you work through on a daily basis. This person needs that same kind of love. They need the same kind of help. Yeah, I love. You see that certificate up there? It's the certified. Uh, it's the training for the uh, peer recovery specialist. And dead center of the certificate, the word is hope. Hope. Man, and that's something that we found. There's so much power and hope. And, and I'll just, I know you know a lot about us, uh, Monty, but one of the main things, I'll just share, you, kind of share with you kind of a, a day-to-day of, of when a guy comes to our program for the first time um, and they're there for a few days. Um, a, a lot of times guys will come to us, and as you know, man, they've probably been to 10, 15 different treatment places, 10 or 15, sometimes first time, right? Hopefully people can catch it. And one of the main things that guys will say when you just kind of start seeing the lights come on, that's how we describe it, in their eyes. You start to see they have life back. And one of the first things that they tell us is like, man, I feel so much hope here. Hope is so powerful. And it's like, I feel like I can actually, I can come out of this. I feel hope. And the reason is, is because the truth of what God said is being proclaimed to them. Not, hey, you deserve this and this and this and hey. No, but they're hearing things like, hey, God actually says that you could be free. You could be free. You could be free. In fact, not only can you, but who he sets free is free indeed. Free indeed. And I mean, when people hear that and they're and they're maybe in their heart or they've been told that they're good, they're bound to this and that this is what defines them, defines them. And now that they're hearing that there's freedom, man, I'm telling you, hope. That's why I love that. Hope is powerful. It's so powerful. And so, man, that's just kind of the a little glimpse into something that we get to hear and something we get to see. And, and I went through the program myself. I went through the program. I spent seven months there. Wow. And now God's called us to lead it. And, um, man, there, it's just, so no one is going to convince me that there is no hope. No one is going to convince me that, man, 
people battling addiction, they can't come out of it. I'm in a room with two other men. One, one who five years ago was Googling faith-based recovery and sent an email to Bruce. And then five years later is the liaison to the White House. <laughs> right. You tell you know, him. And I'll t- let me tell you something that I didn't tell Bruce. And this was this was good. I, it, it just it, it was brought back to me. I knew it, but I wanted to say it to Bruce. And I've never had an opportunity to do it. Because of us meeting each other, we, we did a, we had a meeting together in Nashville a few years ago, about three or four years ago. Uh, Bruce spoke, and there were some pictures that went out on social media of Bruce speaking at the event. Mm-hmm. Two individuals that I knew from my hometown who had never set foot in a church, needed some recovery support, and had moved to Smyrna mm-hmm. and went through your program. Mm-hmm. They Because they saw, they knew me, they knew what I, the type of work that I'd done. They were trying to figure out their path. Mm. They never picked up the phone and called anybody. They saw you, looked you up, found you through the congregation that you served at, saw your seven principles, uh-huh. went through your program, wow. and sent me a message at later in life and said, hey, this is what happened. Wow. And see, that's how that body, how that hand is working without the hand and the foot work together. Sometimes they don't even know why they function like that. Yeah. We breathe when we sleep mm. because our body knows that that's what it has to do to survive. Yeah. And that's how our congregations are. Listen, we, you know, morally condemning someone in the name of the Prince of Peace who is about forgiveness makes no sense. Absolutely. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But embracing individuals, no matter how different they are, that's how the body works. Because my hand doesn't look like my foot. It serves an entirely different function and purpose. Mm-hmm. All of these wonderful people out here, man, whether they wear a jersey to church, they wear a hat to church, or they come to church and the best they have might not look like what somebody else has. They still serve a kingdom purpose. Mm. Given the right direction and resources, there's no telling where they'll be. Good Lord, look at me. 18 years ago, 18 and a half years ago, I was sitting in a treatment program with no idea what I'd be doing the next day. I was trying to do the day by day. Mm. When I got when I got up to a fearless and moral inventory, I was looking around at the walls like, can I really do this? Mm-hmm. A lot of people get stuck on step four. <laughs> they get stuck right in the middle of the mud. Yeah. But that was my divine moment, Um, and I never would have realized, but maybe I should have, that the purpose for me, that his purpose for me was to sit right here with you to talk about what we're talking about to the people listening to your podcast. Yeah. Because there's going to be one person out there, and I do sound like I'm preaching, there's going to be one person out there that's going to hear this, and this is what's going to spark their recovery ministry. Mm. This is going to spark them to go out and get involved more. This might spark them to go into their kid's bedroom and ask their child or tell their child, I understand, Mm. and let them know that, hey, I'm here to help you. I'm not going to ignore the demon that I see, uh, the the path of destruction that I see on you. And that's a hard part, man. We've talked about episodes about we've addressed the parents or loved ones of people battling addiction. And, man, yeah, you've got to have... Man, it's hard to be confrontational at times, but, you know, it could be saving a life. You know, you notice something, you got to say something. And, and the next thing, I mean, you're exactly right, Monty, that the, the, the Bible's clear. God's word's clear. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and I'll give you rest. It doesn't say, hey, hey liars, you can come to me. Hey, adulterers, you can tell me, oh, but drug addicts and alcohol, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to clean up a little bit. It definitely says it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter. But there is a, a welcoming come to me and I'll give you rest. And um, and then that's what all, that's what those seven principles you talked about. Yes, that's what they're all about in the book Lost and Found Recovery in Christ. It's about after what do you do then? It's about growth. It's about 
man, I've, I've, I've seen the freedom that, that is provided by God, and I want more. Like I, that, that one, they say this all the time. One of the biggest travesties in the Christian faith is that people stop at salvation. They, they, they think they can. That's the end game. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. It's like God's called us to this greatness, this kingdom purpose, and you can't just oh, I've I got my fire insurance card and I'm going to do me now. You know, yeah. part part of my recovery process was I surrendered. Yeah, but then I had to submit. Mm. Yeah. One of the hardest things for me as a man was submission. And but part once I submitted, it brought everything I needed right in front of me, put mm. it right here in my face, and it gave me that gave me that purpose. You know, I was lost and found, and didn't realize <laughs> I was actually I was the only one lost. You know, somebody's hand was on me the whole time. You know, mm. after that, after that, after that wonderful verse that says "Love thy neighbor," mm. there wasn't a subsection that said "unless it's this neighbor." Yeah. Unless it's that neighbor, even in the process of loving that neighbor, it, I think it even and we both we all agree that it even incorporated people who don't even believe like we believe mm. because we are tasked with getting on the front lines and helping individuals regardless of who they are. Yeah. That's what our faith allows us, wants us and, and, and implores us to do is to get out there because there are a whole lot of people that don't know anything that we're talking about right now. Yeah. And we're and part of that recovery walk is once we get past depth 12, what do we do then? Yeah. We go back out and help every single individual we can. I'm so honored um, and proud to sit with guys like you, ministers, pastors like you that aren't afraid to stand up and say, I love you. Mm. That is difficult for a lot of people because, you know, confrontational love is good love when you have a means and an end to the confrontation. Yeah. A simple confrontation with nothing after it is only going to push somebody away. But in the confrontation of someone who is suffering, it can be a peaceful confrontation, if you will. It can be a peaceful confrontation, good love, good, tough love, and say, hey, look, I know what you're going through. I'm not going to condone it. But guess what? Have you ever heard of spring to life? Mm. Have you ever heard of spring to life? This is what they do. Let's get you there better. Yet, I know this guy named Bruce. He's a veteran. He may be able to connect with somebody that I can't connect with. I know this guy named Pastor Adam who is totally cool. I follow I follow these guys. If you're listening, I follow them uh, and like their their uh, sermons and when they talk. I think it's awesome. Thank you, thank you. Each time you get a word, you get something different out of it. Even if you've heard something similar before, but you can pull something from it. And part of that recovery process is you're recovering a whole lot of feelings that you had and a whole lot of emotions that you left in the wayside during your addiction, or that you were numbing that for you're numbing. years. Yes. Yeah, man, that could be a that could make someone feel so flustered or so just when when you're not numbing anymore. The first couple of weeks at the program, I tell guys, hey, the way you're feeling right now, I know it's just everywhere, but it's normal. You've numbed your emotions, your pain, your your you've just been numbing for years, and now you are feeling again. You know what I tell them? Because I felt that too. I go, the one thing I could hold on to in this moment of just just feels like chaos was at least I'm human. At least I know that I could still feel. And that was a little bit of hope right there. Because, man, I, I didn't feel for a long time. And then when those feelings, I'm crying at like the wind blowing. Like, what's going on? <laughs> at least I could feel again, you know. And I was like, wow, at least I, I'm still a human. I didn't lose my humanness. But Dr. Burks, man, you are a busy man. And we are so grateful for you coming and spending time Absolutely. here with us. Man, do you have anything you want to ask us? Any questions you have for Bruce or I, or any about S2O Recovery? Anything you want to ask us? I want to I, I want to applaud uh, and congratulate S2L 
Um, I would love to uh, continue to share the information about the wonderful work you do. I want to thank you, Bruce, for taking my phone call uh, and meeting with me. Um, It was divine timing and introduction for us to get together because at at that point, I was still trying to figure out how to connect. And you gave me some valuable insight into a program that you'd already written and created, man. And that is just um, that is the you, you created something that ended up saving two people that I grew up with, which Mm. was the most roundabout, perfect illustration of how the body works. Mm. And I want to thank you for introducing me to Pastor Adam. You guys have such wonderful, powerful stories. uh, And I I have no questions for you. I I, I just have comments uh, of of appreciation and that I hope that pastors that are listening, uh, people of faith that are listening, people who are kind of on the fence or people who don't believe in anything, uh, you have a group or a cohort, or a program right here that you should support on this level. Uh, get your people to them. G- create an access point in your congregation to get people into recovery, get people into treatment. Uh, put a phone number up on your bulletin board. Get mm-hmm. your pastor to say it from the pulpit. Just an FYI, when it comes from the pulpit, our congregations buy in. So pastors, if you hear that every right. once in a while, don't forget that you have the authority, the opportunity, the means, the method, the whatever you want to call it, to stand up and say for one minute that love and embrace people that are suffering, people with mental health and substance abuse issues. We love you. Love us back. Thank you guys for letting me come out here. I had a wonderful morning, some wonderful coffee, and I got to fellowship with some wonderful good brothers, man. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, shoot out that. What's the a website that they could go to if people listening for the Tennessee, for, for your, where they could find the things that you've talked about today, yes, the sir. resources? Uh, so if you want to get involved with our faith-based initiative, go to uh, www.tn.gov backslash behavioral health. tn.gov backslash behavioral health, and then go to the faith-based tab. There is a link on it. If your congregation wants to get involved, you can fill out the link. You can actually do it from your cell phone. Mm. Send that information. It'll come to my office. And that what will happen is we'll send that information out to Project Lifeline, which have been they've been on the podcast. And now we have faith based coordinators. Just a real quick plug. We have three faith based coordinators. Uh, This is one of the this is the first time anything like this has ever happened in this United States. Wow. We have three faith based coordinators who represent each grand division. And what their job is, is to go to faith communities only and equip them and get be the resource linkage for them in their communities. Uh, that, that information will go to them. We can provide trainings. We can connect you with a certified peer program. We can also connect you with other programs like Sp- Spring to Life. Whatever's in your region uh, that you can support or get your congregation members to, we can be part of that process. I thank you again. Uh, again, tn.gov backslash behavioral health. Go to the faith-based tab. Awesome. Awesome. There it is. Hey, the ball's in your court, church. <laughs> hey, the resources are there. Again, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Birch, for having us on. Bruce, you got anything else? Or for yeah, you coming on, I you just, didn't have us on. I just say praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord for people who are obedient uh, to the calling, like like Doctor Montenberg's here. Yeah, let us speak some words of encouragement over you. Uh, you are called. You are a vessel. Thank you. Rest. We're, we pray for protection over you. We pray for uh, just the the platform keeps getting larger and larger. Thank you for what you're doing in this community in the state, uh, man. In the we're, country. In the country. We're, yeah. we're honored to call you friend and brother. So, guys, that's it. Episode one, season two on fire. Thank you so much, guys. Till next time. 
Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Recovery. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.